0: Welcome fellow explorers. My name is Christian Alexanderson and this is Hemlocks to Hellbenders, a podcast highlighting Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors. When it comes to our parks and forests, the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources can only do so much. There's too much trail maintenance, invasive species removal, education programs, and other things that must be done to complete it all. That's where the Pennsylvania Parks and Forests Foundation steps in. Since 1999, the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation has acted as the official nonprofit partner of the Commonwealth State Parks and Forests. Over the course of decades, the Foundation has built an impressive volunteer base, funded innovative programs in education and recreation, worked with conservation partners, and spoken out in support of our public lands. Point to something you love about our state parks and forests, and the Foundation has a hand in it. Foundation members spend thousands of volunteer hours every year on improvement projects, habitat restorations, education programs, and animal conservation projects. They spend membership money making our public lands more accessible. They host events that bring people together in the outdoors. They promote outdoor recreation with events, programs, and learning experiences. And that's just a drop in the bucket of what they do for our state parks and forests. With dozens of friends groups connected to the state parks and forests, they have an army of volunteers that do so much for our amazing public lands. After running a mile in all 121 state parks in 2021, the Pennsylvania Parks and Forests Foundation was the first organization I reached out to to start volunteering. I wanted to get back to the park system that opened my eyes to the incredible beauty I experienced. I've now been volunteering with the organization for over two years, and I cannot recommend it enough. Our participation in the natural world cannot only be take, take, take. We must give back. We must be engaged stewards of our environment. Spend one less weekend hiking or camping and spend it giving back. I promise you, you won't regret it. It has been proven to me time and time again that time spent in service is time well spent. In addition to all the projects and programs the Foundation sponsors, they are also producers of the State Parks and Forest Passport. This handy spiraled book enables visitors to track their visits to our public lands with stamps found at park and forest offices. But we'll get more into that later. I'm excited to welcome Marcy Mowry to the podcast. Marcy is the president of the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation. Marcy, thanks so much for joining the program. Wonderful to be here, Christian. What inspired the creation of the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation?
1: Well, the foundation is an outgrowth of what was then the state parks uh, 2000 report. It was a visionary report done in the 80s, looking looking ahead, um, knowing that there was such a high interest in in parks even then. And so a group of thinkers got together and said, what can we do to to make this happen? And we've kind of evolved over time. It's really a way for people who engage in parks and forests to give back to their parks and forests, either through their time, talent or donations. We dabbled a little bit in land acquisition, but we said, hey, there are organizations out there that do that full time. Let them do that. Uh, So we really focus on stewarding the public lands that are our state parks and state
0: forests. How does the foundation help our parks and forests?
1: Uh, We help in a variety of ways, Christian. This could be an entire conversation. (laughs) Um, We establish friends groups. These are volunteers uh, functioning at a park or a forest that have a variety of missions based upon the place that they're located and the the, the needs of the park or forest and the skill sets of the volunteers. So there are 44 under our umbrella, and we have three more in the conversation right now. We also advocate on behalf of state parks and state forests. Uh, we believe that there's a need for investment in the infrastructure. We have an aging system it's over 125 years old and some of the structures are older than that. So we really need to invest in in our parks and forests. So we advocate um, for investment as well as monitor legislation that could adversely impact um, parks or forests. We also raise money for projects and are really focused on ensuring that there's a place and an experience for everyone in the outdoors. So trying to identify barriers and remove those barriers whether they be information, skill sets, physical barriers. Um, So we just really try to, or even skill sets on the end of people delivering programs. So we really try to make sure that we're addressing those needs so that everybody, because our parks and forests are owned by the citizens of the Commonwealth, that everybody has access.
0: Can you tell us more about the foundation's core values of stewardship, education, recreation, and volunteerism?
1: Yes. Um, as I mentioned, we really are focused on stewarding our state parks and state forests. And by stewardship, we, we define this in the very broadest of sense. It could be you, Christian, coming out and rolling up your sleeves and helping with a, with a tree planting or the your Hemlocks, the Hellbenders podcast, educating people. Um, or you serve as a volunteer on, on our communications board, helping us to figure out ways to disseminate information that stewardship and that that piece rolls over into education. There's a lot of uh, individuals who we get questions all the time. Let me rephrase. We get questions a lot saying, you know, when I get to a park or forest, what do I do first? Or I've never been there. So we try to provide materials that help people have a positive visitor experience, uh, but also when they're having that experience to make sure that they're Um, we call it leave no trace, that they're not having any adverse impacts on the place that they're loving. Recreation, we, we know that if you're not connected to place, you're not going to be inspired to steward it. So we help people to find recreational opportunities. We've purchased equipment so that there are free loaner programs in some parks and forests. We try to improve the recreation infrastructure. We, when we're doing projects, we're not doing water treatment plants, sewage treatment plants. We're doing the things that improve the visitor experience. And oftentimes those are recreation improvements. And then when it comes to volunteerism, there is a key need for volunteers to be involved in state park and state forest stewardship. And these volunteers aren't to replace the the staff in parks and forests because we constantly advocate for additional staffing because they're seriously understaffed. They oftentimes are working shoulder to shoulder, side by side, or they're doing uh, trail work or they're organizing events to help people connect to the place. So volunteerism is key, but they all interlock because volunteerism is a continuum. You you don't volunteer your time until you're connected to place or have a passion for the uh, the issue or the or the um, event or the people. So they all interconnect to lead people to stewardship.
0: I know the foundation's Friends Groups are such a big part of this. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Who are they made up of? What sort of things do they do?
1: The Friends Groups in the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation do a wide variety of things. Between the Friends Group and PPFF in 2022, there was 168 service projects. Those could be tree plantings. Those could be invasive species removal, building of bridges to um, provide trail access, there were 167 special events and outreach programs, which reached 71,000 people. There were 3,402 people who volunteered, who donated over 41,000 volunteer hours. So friends groups are a real key portal to that volunteerism. So friends groups are organizing volunteer events. They're organizing um Special events like the Fall Furnace Fest at Pine Grove Furnace State Park or the Cider Fest at Prince Galitzin. They might be doing movie nights for campers. They might be providing materials for the environmental educator. So they do a wide variety of things. Many of them do trail work. There are so many trails, 11,000 miles of trails in Pennsylvania. That, um, something like that, I have to go look at my thing, I forget. Um, But you know, that's a lot of trail maintenance. And you look at this weather that we have had the recently, trees are coming down in your own neighborhood. So imagine in the forest or in the park, the the volume of trees that are coming down and maybe blocking a trail or taking out a bridge. And oftentimes, it's it's trained volunteers that go in and address those needs.
0: You spoke a little bit about the activities and programs that the friends groups host. Are there any that you can think of that have it in multiple locations like your Fall Fest or your um, educational programs?
1: I would suggest that if people are looking for programs uh, hosted by friends groups, that they visit our website at parksandforest.org on the events page. They And so they're also listed on the DCNR, the pa.gov webpage under events. And it really varies. We have a lot of friends groups that are working with their park or forest that are doing women's based events, like Women in the Wild, Chicks in the Sticks, up in Oil Creek State Park, that are that are designed to help women feel more comfortable in the outdoors. And we actually are working with French Creek State Park to host one this fall. It'll be called Women in the Big Woods. Uh, they're doing the the fall events are very popular and are becoming more and more prominent, not just the festivals, but things within the campground like trunk or treats or um, uh, parades, costume parades. So it really varies. So I always say, keep an eye on our website because friends are always introducing new things. Um, I was talking to the Friends of Kings Gap the other day. And they host music in the mountains. And they were talking about, you know, they're looking at some new ideas for some other things to try. Uh, some of our friends groups do native plant sales. Um, so those, those dates vary. And what they do may vary or it may change as they find maybe something isn't as popular or people's interests are changing. So they try to accommodate the, the needs of the people as well.
0: Something for everyone. Something for everyone. Yes. The park and forest system is always in need of volunteers. What sort of volunteer opportunities are available to those interested in giving back?
1: There are so many volunteer opportunities <laughs> available. What do you want to do? Um, I would say within the friends groups, the friends are often looking for people to serve on their boards of directors. These, are, these positions you know, typically have a monthly meeting where they're coming together and they're they're planning for the year they're um, taking care of the business of running a, a small nonprofit um within the friends groups outside of the board of directors, there are oftentimes trail volunteers, many of them have monthly volunteer days uh which may vary. They might be planting trees one day they might be doing trail work the next time they might be painting uh bridges on another time, so it really varies uh based upon what the need is. In the PPFF office, we have volunteers that help with, we have a a Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Access Committee. We have volunteers that serve on that committee. We're planning our banquet, we we need volunteers. As I mentioned, Christian, you serve on the Communications Committee. So we have a lot of different committees where we welcome non-board members to bring a new perspective uh, into uh, our planning and then helping to implement some of those ideas and actions that committees come up with. And I would also say with many of our friends groups, they're look, they often are looking for help with social media and communication and outreach. That's another uh, common need among the friends. But, and, and I, I'd like to add that volunteerism doesn't have to be that monthly commitment. If you have a passion for planning events and you live near say Colonel Denning, um, They do an event. They did a 60s style beach party this past year that was very, very popular. They had music on the beach. They had a bonfire. They had 60s prices of you know hot dogs and hamburgers. They could use volunteers just to help with that. So you know your volunteerism could be as as short or as long as you have time for.
0: I also think it's really important that when you're interested in volunteering for the Parks Foundation. When you say, "Oh, uh, you know, I may not be the best person for trail maintenance or invasive species removal, but I'm good at web hosting, or I'm good at this, or I'm good at building websites, or I'm good at social media." It's not uh, not like somebody goes, "Well, I'd like to help with social media." And they go, "No, no, you're going to build bridges for us." They <laughs> pair you guys. You guys pair people to what they can do. For me, I, I don't have a ton of weekends available, but I am available to be able to write for the uh, Parks Foundation. So it's like that's the way I, I can get back. And there's lots of ways that people can get back, even if you don't think. Uh, your skill set might match up. I'm sure there's something out there for you.
1: Yes. And, and I think it's really important as somebody who's looking to volunteer that you self-identify what skills you want to share or what skills you want to develop. Because sometimes we have volunteers that they don't have trail building skills. We'll use that as an example, but they want to learn that because maybe they see themselves traveling in that in that path later on. So Be very clear, because I always share with my friends groups, you know, when I first started at the foundation, I was the only employee. I lived alone and I volunteered somewhere where they put me in a room by myself. I mean, I was looking for the social interaction. So, I mean, if that's what you're looking for, to be around like minded people, be clear about that so that you're not stuck in a little room, maybe doing deed research or something or research on a historic uh, aspect of a park. Be, be clear. So, you know, make sure that the volunteer opportunity is a, a good fit for you as well.
0: One of my favorite things the organization does is the Foundation's Parks and Forest stamp book. Can you tell us about it?
1: Oh, yes, Christian. I and mean, I know you—you you, yours is full. <laughs> so the, the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation passport was something we launched more than a decade ago as a tool to help people navigate and visit and keep track of all of the state parks and state forests. And it was really inspired by our our friends in Virginia. They did something similar. We're like, wow, this is really cool. And we saw the success that they were having. And we approached ours a little bit differently. Well, all of the parks and forests are listed and you can visit a park or forest and get a stamp or sign it yourself if you can't find the stamp or they're out of stamps or stickers. We also did themes and looked at it from a them- thematic viewpoint of what if you like history? Well, here are some places we'd recommend to go to look at history. And there's a lot of history in our state parks and state forests. What if you love wild water? You know, you're you're a whitewater kayaker. Well, here are some places to go. What if you're traveling with a family? So we really tried to look at it through different lenses to help people find places uh, in our parks and forests that, um where they can engage in, in, in outdoor recreation. Maybe they want to, some of it's where to go for quiet contemplation, because sometimes we just want to go and and sit and be quiet and listen and think, or maybe we want to have a picnic or maybe we just want to take in a view and have that feeling of all, which is so good for our our mental health and our creativity. So we really tried to think of it from that perspective and we are heading into our, I believe it, Christian, it's our sixth printing of it. You know, we got we got a curveball and we got three new parks in 2022, so we had <laughs> yeah. to do an update. But we're running into our next printing because it's very popular. Uh, the other thing that we're seeing more and more of is when people purchase the passport, if you visit a certain number of places within a category, you can get a dog tie, like a dog tag. I'm sorry. Maybe it's uh, on a history buff or clean water. And we're seeing on a regular basis, we're getting requests for tags because people are completing that, um, the different categories and, you know, they're excited and we love to celebrate with them because we know that when you're out in a park or a forest, it's better for your physical, mental, and emotional health.
0: It's difficult for me to explain how much I love the parks passport. Um, I, I try to think of it as like, rationally, like I love checklists you give me a check. There's nothing that makes me happier in my life than checking off something on a list. I go, oh, it's done. I can move on. But there's something so satisfying about like going to a park, having a great day, then going to the uh, going to the office, finding a stamp and putting it in. It's like a perfect exclamation point at the end of the day that I love so much. Uh, what are people's reactions when they first get this book, when they find out this is available?
1: They get excited. I mean, my husband and I, we volunteer as campground hosts. So I feel like a secret shopper sometimes because I'm in a park and I'm, I'm the campground host, and people will stop and they're like, "Hey, where can I get the stamp? I just got my passport." And we're trying to, and I'm like, "Oh, well, tell me how, how do you like the passport?" And they're they're super excited. Or we've had people that said, well, "I bought one for myself, and now you know I'm coming back and I want one for my nie- my nieces and my nephews and my sister and my friends," or, or they set up their own challenges uh, to do it. Or each child has their own, and they're all keeping track of the Parker Forest that they visit. So there's that educational opportunity with it as well. But I'm with you, Christian. I'm a I'm a list person. I like to check things off the list. I like to keep things you know organized, and I get excited about look. I've done. I'm a high pointer. I'm trying to do all the high points. Minus Denali. I don't feel the need to do Denali. <laughs> sure, sure. In full disclosure. Um, and I love checking them off and writing it in my book. And I usually keep a little note of like, who, who would who did the high point with me and we're good this year for the foundation, um, it being a leap year, our theme is leap in hashtag leap in. And so we'll be focusing a lot on the passport, but we also put together a checklist of the, um, the natural areas and the national natural landmarks. I always have to say that slow. It's a tongue twister. (laughs) In our state parks and state forests and in encouraging people to go visit those. They're, they're unique places within our park and forest landscape that maybe you haven't seen before. So and when we were trying to pull it together, we had to pull it from lots of different spaces. So here's like one checklist that'll be going up on our website very soon.
0: Yeah, I think one of the great things about the passport is that not every state does it. Because when I go to other states, I go to other state parks and I go, OK, where's their stamp? they go, we have no idea what you're talking about. And I go, well, <laughs> well, where I'm from, they do the stamps that they have a unique stamp for every park and every forest. And they look at me, they go, no. And then they charge me 20 bucks to get into a park that isn't worth $20. And then, <laughs> but it's <laughs> for also- $20 to
1: eat your lunch, or yeah. $20 to walk your dog. Oh. We're lucky in Pennsylvania, our parks charge no admission fee, there's no parking fee. And it's designed that way um, because we know that people benefit from getting into the outdoors and when we have a healthier population we all benefit and communities all, often also benefit because our parks and forests are part of that overall recreation economy of pennsylvania and it, we're in the top five in the nation we, we vacillate between five and six in, in terms of outdoor recreation economy so they're, they're critical
0: How does the passport encourage people to explore Pennsylvania and its public lands? I
1: think, well, I, I don't think I know. I know it helps people because it gives them in one spot information that they need about their parks and forests. There is a map that shows where parks and forests are located. Um, And Christian, we'll use you as an example. You know, you were running a mile in every state park. You were able to say, okay, if I go over here and I I could grab two, three, four parks in one trip. Uh, So it helps you to plan your your visits to state parks and state forests. And and I keep emphasizing forests because oftentimes people think about our state parks and we have 20 forest districts. We have two point two million acres a state forest land that offers a lot of opportunity for for low impact dispersed recreation. and so oftentimes I think people are more intimidated by our state forests because our parks you know, you can go in and there's a map that shows you where things are and it's kind of contained well forest, there's a map, there's a public use map, but the containment is much bigger. They might be hundreds of thousands of acres, yeah, so um, the passport shows you okay like you know you have a child and you want to do um a hike and you're near Tayoga State Forest you know maybe there's a hike that's free that's appropriate for your child you know cuz you have to think about when you're going into the outdoors you know do you have the skill set for the hike cuz some of our hikes are pretty rigorous uh is it a- appropriate for a child um I think I was hosting was during COVID in 2020 and the person came up and they were in flip flops and they were carrying a baby and they wanted to do flat rock at uh, Colonel Denning. And I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I think you'd have a more positive experience if you take the nature trail around the lake. And I spoke to him later and they had a very positive experience. You know, so I, I think as when you're planning trips and I know this is a little digression, you know, it helps to 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 have something like the passport to give you a little bit of information because it might say this place is great, but there's pit latrines. Make sure you go to the bathroom or there's no latrines, you know, so go to the bathroom before you go here. So all those little pieces of information is, is like having having somebody in your in your back pocket or whispering in your ear saying. Hey, I opened it up to flora and fauna. So let's see. So if you like flora and fauna, there's several pages. You could go to Bald Eagle State Forest and look for pingo st- scars in the halfway run natural area. These water depressions carved out by ACE are breeding grounds for forest amphibians and the careful observer can see many other forms of wildlife here as well. So little things you you, you wouldn't have uh, I forgot about Pingo scars and I even wrote the book. <laughs> and I just went back and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be up that way. I'm going to look for those.
0: So, yeah. I mean, the passport never leaves my car. It is a constant, like, if I go somewhere, I open the book and I go, I wonder if there's anything around me. Luckily, at this point, since I've been to all of them, I kind of usually know where I'm going or not. But one of the things I like, if you're a completionist or if you're a person that goes, well, I started this journey, I have to end this, I have to get all the stamps, you're going to go places in the Commonwealth. That you would never plan to go. Am I necessarily going to go towards the Scranton region? Maybe, but maybe not. Am I going to go anywhere near Ryerson Station ever in my life? No. But the fact that I have to go there opens up a lot of cool opportunities. I drove almost 8,000 miles just visiting parks in one year, and it made me love this Commonwealth so much. Before, I'd never felt really connected to this place. I'm from New Jersey, went to school in West Virginia, and then all of a sudden, I visited all these public lands, and it made me really take. Account of how much incredible public lands we have in this Commonwealth, and how great it is to be able to go out and visit them for free at any time.
1: Yeah, it's a very good point, Christian. And and you use Ryerson Station as an example. It is so tucked away down in Greene County in the farthest southwest corner of Pennsylvania. But what a lovely area! When you get down there, you think, why didn't I have this on my list?
0: Because it it,
1: it it's beautiful, and I think that's one of the the neat things about our park and forest system is there's something for everybody, and each one brings something unique to the system
0: of state parks and state forests. What is the Cinemall Challenge?
1: The Cinemall Challenge is for people like you and I who love checklists, <laughs> and I've been to all of the state parks, and we encourage all of the state park forests as well. But when they let us know, we help them celebrate. There's a special bandana. There's a certificate. Uh, there is a self-organizing club uh, where people share stories and information. And we will probably do a story on, on you as well. So it's really a way to celebrate your accomplishment. And the only way you can get one of the bandanas and the certificates is to see them all. And um, that's, that's 124 state parks. But it can be done. A few years ago, we we did a partnership with a, a motorcycle riding group, and one guy went out and did all parks. There were 121 them. So you know, a little bit of a slacker. Um, he went out and did all of the parks over summer. He rode his motorcycle to uh, all of the different parks, and just, you just did eight thousand miles. What a grand motorcycle adventure that must have been over the course of the summer.
0: Yeah, I was trying to figure if you if you had a crew like, with you, and, you know, you were able to get the prime locations wherever you were in terms of, like, where you can stay, I think you could see everything in two weeks. But you will also not get any experiences. (laughs) You can literally look at the sign and then drive right past it, and that's pretty much all you're getting. But, I mean, uh, you know, I did it. I I saw – I ran a mile in all the parks in 224 days. I do not necessarily recommend that. I am now filling out my second passport, actually enjoying everything. And being able to see everything and go the extra mile for the waterfall or, you know, stay at cabins or, uh, you know, check out CCC uh, historical information and museums. I don't recommend, like, just going them to get the stamps. Go there and enjoy them. Get the stamps, sure. But go there uh, there to enjoy them, have some fun, learn some things.
1: Uh, And I would agree. I had a goal that before I turned 40, I wanted to visit every state. And I I met my goal, but my rule for myself was that I had to spend several days there. I couldn't land in an airport and count it. And I think if you just take the passport and go to the office and get the stamp and move on to the next park or forest, you're almost missing the point of the passport, which is really to connect you to these places. So if you're traveling and and you find that you're, you're going to be at, let's open it up here. So there's an index in the Passport, not the one I have because it's the first iteration and we did an index on the second or third and the future iterations. But you can look in the back and you can say, well, I'm going to be at uh, Laurel Hill State Park and you can look in the index and it'll tell you all the different pages where you can find Laurel Hill. So there are some ideas of things to do while you're there. Or maybe you're at Bald Eagle State Forest, same thing. So it, it it's a little bit of an, an insider scoop too. And, and I will build on that, now that I said insider scoop, we're actually creating some fact sheets that'll be up on our website. We have several of them now in both English and Spanish that are insider scoop, but we ask our friends group, if somebody only had a few minutes, where would you recommend them to go? If they're here with a child, where would you recommend? Um, what do you think is the best kept secret? Where's the best place to get ice cream? And that's personally driven by my desire to eat ice cream outside of every park but
0: <laughs> and now let's hear from our sponsors it's saturday morning in your favorite kind of weather it's a day for hiking clearly mark blazes guides you safely along the unobstructed trail allowing you to get lost in the wonder of nature keystone trails association makes these moments possible for you and pennsylvania's great outdoors KTA's members are dedicated to providing, preserving, protecting, and promoting recreational hiking trails and hiking opportunities in Pennsylvania. Join KTA to help protect the trails you love. New members use the code HELLBENDERS at www.kta-hike.org to save $5 on a yearly membership. Are you looking for your next adventure? Unlock some of the best landscapes in Pennsylvania with the incredibly detailed, highly curated, waterproof maps from the folks at Purple Lizard. They create extraordinary maps of Pennsylvania State Forest for people who love to explore the outdoors. Find them at your local outfitters, bike shops, and bookstores, or visit purplelizard.com, where your next adventure begins. Hey, podcast explorers. Did you know Pennsylvania's state parks and forests are the heartbeat of our commonwealth? They're not just natural wonders. They're vital for our well-being and local economies. That's where the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation steps in. They rally volunteers, raise funds, and advocate for these precious lands. Join the movement to preserve and enjoy our outdoor treasures. Learn more at pa-parksandforests.org. Let's keep Pennsylvania untamed and beautiful together. All right, back to the show. The funds for membership dues, donations, and passport sales help fund the foundation's projects, programs, initiatives, and more. Can you give us some examples of the projects that the foundation funds?
1: There's a wide variety of projects. We have on our website uh, what we call the needs list, and these are put in place based upon conversations with park managers and district foresters. And then we, we put money towards those projects on the needs list. We have a partnership with New Trail Brewing Company. Uh, if people purchase a replenish IPA, uh, that goes into a tree fund. So we're planting a lot of trees and we're not planting small trees. We're planting 10, 12 foot high trees that um, make a difference because we're losing a lot of our trees to hemlock, a woolly adelgid and the emerald ash borer. Um, so people's dues, their donations, their membership. Uh, locally, we're both in the Harrisburg area. We put in an, a, an ADA canoe and kayak launch at Little Buffalo State Park, which makes it easier for anybody to get into and out of the water. We're putting the finishing touches on the truly inclusive uh, playground. They'll have a poured rubber surface so that um, somebody that's using an assistive device can access that, all aspects of the playground. And we hope to have that finished in May. We um, currently are working on restoring grouse habitat in Bald Eagle State Forest. Grouse, which is our state bird, uh, their numbers have been plummeting because of West Nile virus. And uh, through research that the Game Commission has done, they've identified that West Nile doesn't survive above a certain altitude. So we're converting marginal land into grouse habitats uh, along the Bald Eagle Ridge to try to restore numbers, the numbers of grouse habitat. We've helped to put bridges in, in um, state parks and state forests to complete trails or replace bridges that have been wiped away. We have things done things as simple as bike repair stations on a trail so that you feel a little more confident if you're out on a trail. Two, we have a large project in western Pennsylvania right now that we're looking to restore a historic cabin and open it up for overnight lodging. So projects can be very small. And they can be very large, you know, costs. We help to support the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps, um, So we appreciate all the support that people are able to give because we make sure that the money is managed wisely and it's invested in the mission, which is stewardship of parks and forests, education, recreation, volunteerism, and then all the, these amazing projects that we're able to do on the ground.
0: I think that's why it's also so important to become a member of the foundation because even if you can't offer your services or your time or your volunteer effort, that money is going to do so much good for public lands that these people love
1: yes and and I think I think another important thing if when you're a member of the foundation, you get information about things that are happening and you can also lend your voice because there are times when there there have been proposals that would have really altered the experience in a park or a forest and we rally people and say hey we need your support or in 2022 we were able to leverage 75 million dollars um, to be invested in park and forest infrastructure and last year DCNR got oh, I think it was 112 million and part of that is is us communicating to people like yourself Christian people that are out there that are park and forest enthusiasts and contacting their elected officials because You know, we as an organization can go in and talk to an elected official, but they're much more receptive to citizens as constituents talking to them and saying, hey, these are important to us. And this is why it's important. And maybe you had an amazing experience, maybe you recovered from a, a heart attack by going out and walking every day in a state park. Maybe you have a small business that depends on that tourism revenue in order to survive. So there's a lot of benefits of our parks and forests and, you know, having a variety of members and donors and and, um, voices helps to raise awareness uh, to decision makers that are making critical decisions that impact not just you today, but the future of our parks and forests.
0: As you mentioned, one of the biggest issues facing DCNR is deferred maintenance projects totaling more than a billion dollars are state parks and forests. What kind of infrastructure projects is the foundation helping with?
1: So when, you're, when you reference the infrastructure, I'll step back for a second and say in 2018, uh, we worked with GCNR and we released a report and it's actually on a separate website. It's up uh, protectourparksandforest.org. Uh, people can access that report. And at that time, we identified a billion dollar need for maintenance and infrastructure in 2021 22 it was 21 um we went back and it had it had risen to like 1.4 1.5 and in part that is things got more expensive to repair in part it's like your home if you don't repair the ceiling you might be you know re- replacing the furniture and the roof and you know um the flooring So when you defer maintenance, it doesn't get less expensive. It becomes more expensive. Um, So one of the ways that we've been working to address the infrastructure needs is through our education and particularly to the decision makers to help them to understand why these investments are important. And we take decision makers out to parks and forests. And when you're visiting a park or forest, that's. Staff there know that that might be your vacation for the year, so they're gonna to work to ensure that you have a really good time. But what you might not realize is that you know they're piecing together um, materials to keep the sewage treatment plant that was put in in nineteen fifty five keeping it running, or you know they're trucking in water from someplace because the water system has had issues so that all that under underground infrastructure, all that behind the scenes infrastructure that you take for granted, that all re- requires repairs and maintenance and upgrades. There was a time when people were quite comfortable with pit latrines. Most people don't want to go to the bathroom in a pit latrine. Yeah. And in fact, I'll say this out loud. I took a group of decision makers to one of the parks, and invited them to go inside of a pit latrine, and they wouldn't go in. And I like but you expect your constituents to use this, this restroom. So, and, and not just showing them the infrastructure, but also helping them to realize the value that place brings. When we do a, a tour, we will also we will look at, what is the economic impact of that place into the local community? How many jobs outside of the park are created or supported through visitorship to that park? Um, I call it the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, maybe a park needs $250,000 worth of infrastructure repairs and upgrades, but it contributes $300,000 annually to the economy so that for that one-time investment, you could have that regular return. Um, So I think it's, that's really a, a large part of what we do when it comes to infrastructure, Christian. We actually did a survey a few years ago and asked the population of Pennsylvania, you know, if if choices had to be made between investing in a, a wide variety of things, would you do you support investing in state parks and state forests, knowing that there might be less money to go to other things? And people said, yes. <laughs> the majority of people said yes. So we don't have the, the funds to tackle a sewage treatment replacement. That's that's big, big work. But what we can do is we can advocate for those larger projects. The big things that we have done and friends groups have done will probably be some of the bridges that need to be repaired. Uh, some maybe paving in, in parking areas, rerouting trails, um, smaller infrastructure. We don't want to be in the business of how do we, how do I say this? We don't want to be in the business of these are public lands and they're a public investment and you know, taxpayer money needs to be invested into them. And we don't want to step up and say, okay, no, we're going to take care of all this because the state needs to invest. Yeah. So we're, we're investing in the things that improve the visitor experience and educating on why we need to invest as a Commonwealth with taxpayer money into these places in the landscape.
0: One of the difficult aspects too, especially about infrastructure, is it's just not sexy. Like there's there's only so much when you go, oh, we're, we're building these new trails and the signage to explain the history of this place. But anytime you start saying, well, you know, there's some real sewer problems. There's some real issues that have to do with roofs. It's like, yes, you can't technically see them, but it's real and they need to be addressed. I'm I'm sure it's difficult to just get people to support projects that aren't always the what's going to make everything look better, but it's definitely going to improve user experience.
1: Yes, yes, and nobody wants a sewer treatment plant named after them, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and the ribbon cutting isn't as fun, but people don't know that we have some parks that that are treating effluent from from local municipalities as well, you know, so they're they're serving not just the visitors of the park but they're serving the greater community. I mean, you wouldn't have a system in your house, let's say a toilet, you know, most of us don't have. 60 year old toilets. <laughs> I mean, I think if you look at it through that lens, you know, there's how do, how would you, you, you're constantly repairing your house. It's not as, as though that these things got in place because they were neglected. It's just that we have a lot of infrastructure. We have an amazing park and forest system and things get old or safety standards change or how people want to interact changes. You know, people don't necessarily, as I mentioned, want to use pit latrines. They prefer, you know, flush toilets and and nicer restrooms. So standards change and the type of recreation that we engage in changes. I mean, there was no such thing as a paddleboard 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and now it's a very popular activity. So you may have to accommodate in some way. Uh, disc golf, you know, that didn't exist, you know, 50 years ago, and now it's a popular activity. We don't we, we have to prepare for the future, and we have to keep our parks and forests meaningful to all generations of visitors.
0: Well, I do want to put it out there that if someone would name a latrine after me, I would love it, or, <laughs> uh, or a sewage plant. I think that would just be great. Christian Alexanderson is very long on a plaque, but I'd be willing to fund it.
1: Yes, I will say one of the one of the things we're very proud of is if you've visited the Laurel Ridge State Park, you know that the Laurel Highlands Hiking Trail is there. That was a big infrastructure investment for us because we helped with raising the funds to restore all of the Adirondack style shelters, and have been working with the park to put in um, wood shelters. And at the point when we started working on that project, and it's been a number of years. There was an assessment made that those shelters were going to have to close, and we didn't want to see that. And so we were able to raise, and we got grants from REI, we were able to raise private investment by people having places named after them, um, and we were able to, to restore all of them and rebuild the chimney so that their are structures that are there. We've also invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into restoring the Civilian Conservation Corps camps at Laurel Hill and bringing them back into a usable state. So we are doing that type of, of large-scale infrastructure improvement.
0: Can you discuss any initiatives aimed at restoring or protecting endangered species within the parks and forests supported by the foundation?
1: I th- it varies. We, we have a lot of um, initiatives, and, and friends groups do as well. I would say one of the things locally that we have been working on with a wide variety of people is Bunker Hill in the Michaux State Forest, and that had been heavily overrun by invasive plants, and those invasive plants were choking out some some native plants, as well as had limited the diversity of wildlife species. And so through funding, through um, private donations, the Alexander Stewart, MD Foundation, uh, Bass Pro and Cabela's outdoor fund. Um, we were able to help raise money. Oh, and the Market Square Presbyterian Church. Um, one year, two years, they did as an alternative to poinsettias where you could make a donation into a native plant fund. And um, we were able to raise uh, several thousand dollars that we used to buy native plant plugs. So that area now. Is shifting from being covered in invasive plants to growing native wildflowers, native trees. Um, two and two blinds were built. There are going to be some. We just funded an interpretive panel, uh, so that's like a local example of not just protecting endangered species, but investing in a in a in an ecosystem. Uh, and trying to push back invasive plants. And a lot of our friends groups do invasive species removal because that's a big issue. And um, not just on the land, but in the water. So we're always trying to encourage people, if you're paddling between, you know, if you're paddling in one area and then you move to another area, even if you're in a kayak and you think, what could I possibly transfer with me? Please scrub it, you know, because you can be moving aquatic seeds and maybe aquatic uh, mussels that could adversely impact an
0: ecosystem. What strategies or programs does a foundation employ to promote environmental education and awareness?
1: We do a lot of different things. Um, One of the things is we're an educational improvement tax credit uh, nonprofit, and businesses can make a a donation to us to um, support environmental education programs in state parks and state forests. And I will say that in 2022, there were 1,095 EITC-sponsored programs that su- reached over 5,900 students. Um, so we're very we're very proud of that. We do education and outreach. We have an a- active uh, internship program at the foundation, and we piloted a few years ago a high school level internship program at Nolby State Forest. Um, We currently are in conversations with Girl Scouts in the heart of Central Pennsylvania to see how we can work closer together, um, both with 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 the Girl Scouts as well as the leaders and empowering the leaders so that they can you know feel more comfortable taking girls out into the outdoors for outdoor experiences. So we we do it either by implementing programs ourselves, by helping to empower programs. Or we have a transportation scholarship program where we help to fund visits to a park or forest if it's part of an overall learning experience. We don't just fund a group to go out and swim at the park, but we fund them to go out and do water quality testing and maybe a service project. Uh, So we're doing more and more of that, not just with, with schools, but with school clubs. And we've been working on a partnership. Um, with one of the YMCAs that are getting seniors out because so often seniors don't have the access or feel comfortable driving out into the parks and it's very valuable for them. And we actually had to get a bigger bus because it was so popular. The last one that we ran and they went out to Nescapec state park and had a wonderful day of programs and, and learning there at the park. So I really think it's, it's cradle to, to, to grave in terms of, you know, We're trying to make sure that people have access and can learn and benefit from these places.
0: The Parks Foundation does so much and has so many programs and initiatives. Is there one that you can think of that you're just super excited about?
1: This is my 19th year with the foundation, you know, and, and, you know, I, I've seen the growth of the foundation. I get excited with all of the work that our friends groups are able to accomplish. I mean, they're a force to be reckoned with. They're making, doing really good things for visitors and communities alike. So I get excited about the the, the volunteer programs. I really, like the passport has been such a great tool for people to explore their parks and forests. Um, I think that, you know, we do, we have some really amazing communication pieces. We have a great newsletter that we really try to feature. Um, a lot of good information in it's not just hey here's what we did but hey like the next one is all about the eclipse and viewing the eclipse and and um so i think that's going to be a must read for people um but we have take five which is our weekly e-blast that is really good i love our partnership with neutral brewing and you know focusing on projects in parks and forests through the beer series as well as all the tree planting that we're doing because I think trees are the best thing we can do for the future and uh, we're losing so many that when we can put them in, I always get really excited.
0: How does the foundation address the challenges of balancing conservation efforts with recreational activities within parks and forests?
1: I think one of the best thing that we can do is, is help people to find other places within a park or a forest, as opposed to loving a place to death. Um, Sometimes a place needs rest. Um, But, whole steeple trail you know there are other trails in the michelle so if you go get down a, a pine grove furnace because you park in pine grove but you technically hike in the Micho. um if you get there and it's the 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 parking area is full don't make your own parking space that has an adverse impact um you know pick up your passport or or get a park map or a forest map the blueberry trail is a lovely trail there are other trails that you can you can go out and see so we really try to educate people about leave no trace principles um, and try to help them find other places to dis- to disperse recreation. And, you know, I think it's important to know before you go to um, have in your pocket. Like if I get to Pine Grove and pole steeple is packed, where else can I go? That doesn't have to be the end of my day or I don't have to park on a tree root and potentially kill that tree. Um, and I, and I think whenever we can educate people about, you know, stay on the trail, don't make social trails, don't create your own trail. You know, we have a lot of social trails that go into place. If you're if you're camping, extinguish that fire. You know, nothing irritates me more when I'm hosting when I get to a campsite and people have left for the weekend and their fire is still going. You know, so there's there's things that we can do as visitors that reduce our impact and then the other aspect of that is have a variety of of opportunities in your pocket so that if a place is is being overrun you can go somewhere else instead of adding to the pressure of that place
0: outdoor inclusivity is a priority for the foundation how is the foundation working to make Pennsylvania's parks and forests more inclusive
1: this is part of the work that I'm very proud of too Christian and we have been working to make it more inclusive we've been looking at um, where the barriers are and how can we re- remove the barriers and some of those barriers are physical barriers so we've been putting in ADA canoe and kayak launches which we believe in the the principle of universal design and universal design means it's good for everybody. So um, it, I like using the canoe and kayak launch um, because it, it stabilizes my kayak getting in and out. So we've put in a number of canoe and kayak launches. We've put in ADA fishing piers. Um, we are putting in that first inclusive playground at Little Buffalo. But you know inclusivity is, is, is also making sure that we are offering programs and materials in multiple languages. It's, it also means offering beginner type of programs because it's not inclusive if you're if you're offering something and I don't have that skill set as a new visitor, and I can't participate or I don't feel comfortable or maybe I don't have access to the to equipment So we're trying to, to to invest in more loaner style programs. And we're also trying to, to tell some of the stories that haven't been told about a variety of of histories, because it's helpful if you see yourself in in the history of, of conservation to realize that, you know, we, we are all part of that, that history and we are all welcome in these spaces.
0: As somebody who is serving on the communications committee, I can tell you that there's every conversation that we have in terms of events is always, what communities can we reach that we're currently not reaching? What organizations can we connect with that could open it up to new people or people that are marginalized or people who don't have access to these places because of transportation? I'm really proud of the work that the foundation does to make sure that they're not just staying with the population they have, but they're trying to expand the population as much as possible.
1: Thank you, Christian. It's really important to us.
0: How does the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation collaborate with government agencies?
1: Well, DCNR, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, is our primary partner. I mean, they are the managers of, of state parks and state forests. And so we work very closely with them. We don't just have an idea and then thrust s- it on them. <laughs> you can't see my, my hand gestures. You know, we sit down and we have conversations. You know, where are things going? What, what are your needs? But it's not the only um, government entity that we work with. We've been working with the uh, Fish and Boat Commission. Um, to we're we've been providing some um, content to their to their anglers magazine, and we are inviting them out to um, some of the programs that we're doing. Um, for example, we we post we don't host, but we appear on two different Span- Spanish language radio stations. Um, And we try to provide educational content through those radio programs. And in I think it's June, um, Fish and Boat Commission has been to join us to talk about boating safety, and it'll be all delivered in in Spanish. Um, Game Commission has been an integral part to some of the habitat restoration projects that we're working on, particularly the grouse habitat project. So while our primary partner our primary government partner is the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. We have also worked with other agencies, Pennsylvania Historic and Museum Commission, because we have a lot of historic structures on our state park and forest lands. But we also are a partner in the uh, conservation heritage project for Pennsylvania. So, you know, part of it is, is the on-the-ground work. Part of it is the storytelling, the
0: working with other entities. What ways can people support the foundation?
1: Well, there's a number of ways they can support. One is uh, by becoming a member. Uh, They can register to receive Take Five to get you know weekly updates about what's happening in parks and forests. They could be a voice for parks and forests. They could become a volunteer with the foundation or one of our 44 Friends groups. Perhaps they live in an area where there's a park or a forest that doesn't have a Friends group, and they're interested in in getting one started. They could reach out. We're also in the process of launching a new program of stewarding trails with individual volunteers, because there's some places where we don't have friends groups and we know that volunteerism is really about, you know, sometimes we want to go out by ourselves and do a trail, but we only have so much time and we can't fit it into somebody's predetermined schedule. So we're trying to try to look at the different ways that people are volunteering and uh, meet them where they are.
0: Where should people go if they're interested in becoming a member?
1: They should go to our website, pa Parksandforest.org. And there's a, a big button right there that says join now. I would also recommend poking around on the website because there's a lot of really good information. There are infographics, there are publications, there are fact sheets on, Hey, you're thinking about cross country skiing. Here are some things that you should know, or, um, you're going to be visiting Philadelphia where here are things to do within, you know, 60 minutes of Philadelphia in our state parks and state forests. So there's a lot of really good information. It's currently under our publications page under the About Us. But poke around the website. There's probably things that you uh, might want to see. Uh, the other thing I would recommend, Christian, is we have a new video out. It's on the role of quiet in the outdoors. It's on our YouTube channel, which is uh, YouTube Pennsylvania Parks and Forests Foundation. And it really explores the, the uh, mental health benefits of being in quiet areas and looks at the benefits to the quiet areas that when we as visitors are approaching with with a quiet intention. So it's a pretty cool video and I, it is, we're hearing a lot of positive feedback because this is not a topic a lot of people are talking about and that is preserving quiet space.
0: And make sure you're following them on social media. You guys put out a ton of content.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. <laughs> That's why you're on the communications <laughs> committee. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and YouTube currently. And we're, st- we're going to be starting a meetup group. So,
0: Well, Marcy, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. And I want to thank you so much for the work you do for the Commonwealth. I think you will have an uh, incredible legacy. Whenever you decide to hang up your spurs, you will have, <laughs> thank you, you have had an amazing impact on this Commonwealth. And I just want to thank you for all the work that you do.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for all that you're doing to help educate people and spread the word about these great system of state parks and state forests.
0: My pleasure. I want to thank my guest Marcy Mowry, for joining the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Meta for more information about upcoming episodes. You can support the podcast by buying merch at hemlockstohellbenders.com. I want to send a big thank you to Joanne Menzer for supporting the podcast by subscribing. You too could provide a monthly donation by tapping support the show in the episode description. If you're a Pennsylvania business interested in advertising with the podcast, email us at hemlockstohellbenders at gmail.com. This has been Hemlocks to Hellbenders. I'll see you out there. Hosting production and editing by Christian Alexanderson, music by John Sauer, graphics by Matt Davis.